And today I will be speaking from Mark 14, 1 to 11. And the title of my sermon is, Do We Know Who He Is Like She Knows Who He Is? I don't know about all of you, but for me, it's not always easy to put Jesus first, especially in our culture where distractions seem to be everywhere. It can be really easy for us to have busy schedules and to focus on getting things done. But in doing that, sometimes we often end up putting God to the side until it's convenient again. I know I've definitely done this. It's not hard to put things like our money, our career, our education, our time, and our schedules before God. But we should always put Jesus first, and he is always the most important thing. In this passage, we can see what it looks like to really put Jesus first. If you have your Bibles with you today, I invite you to open them to Mark chapter 14, um, verses 1 to 11. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at at the table. A woman came to him with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some of those who said, to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word this morning. The writer of this book is, of course, Mark. And something that Mark does from time to time is he uses sandwiches in his writing. And what I mean by a sandwich is when a single episode is interrupted by another and the two in some way mutually interpret one another. In our case, Mark interrupts a single episode of uh, the religious leaders and Judas trying to kill Jesus with the woman anointing Jesus. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, He's gone to Jerusalem, and he's foretold the destruction of the temple. And he's done a lot of things that make the religious leaders want to either arrest him or kill him. In chapter 3, verse 6, it says that the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This was after he healed the man with the weathered hand on the Sabbath. In chapter 11, verse 18, it says, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him after he was flipping tables in the temple. In chapter 12, verse 12, they seek to arrest him again after thinking that he told a parable against them. And now in chapter 14, we see them wanting to kill him once more. Although they don't want to kill him during the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread because they're afraid of an uproar or a riot from the people, as we see in verse 2. Generally, the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread were done directly after one another, so they were often treated as one festival. 
And for this festival, there was a massive influx of people who would come into Jerusalem. And at this point, Jesus also had a large following. So if the religious leaders were to arrest him now, then there would be a lot of people who would riot. And then not only that, Rome would probably step in and end up just wiping out everybody. So they definitely did not want that to happen. Now Mark interrupts the main plot with the anointment of Jesus. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus is at Bethany. They have been going back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem for the past little while, and they're reclining at the house of Simon the leper. Simon the leper, there isn't a whole lot known about him, but some people speculate that he was healed at Jesus at one point, but there's really not much to tell us how, like tell us if that's true or not. Verse 3 also references the alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Um, alabaster is a white or translucent stone that is often used for making flasks or vases. If we look up at the screen, there should be, yeah, there we go. That's what it would look like. Um, and the nard is a herb with pleasantly scented roots that comes from India. So as it says in verse 3, this perfume is very, very costly. And the woman decides to break it and then pour it all over Jesus. So then in verse 4, some of the people start to question why she wasted this perfume. Because it was worth 300 denarii, which is about a year's wages. And they thought that she should have sold it and given the money to the poor. I mean, are they right? Isn't giving to the poor more important than just pouring perfume on somebody? I mean, Jesus in the past has shown a really great concern for the poor. So they start scolding her. But Jesus tells them to stop. And get this, he says in verses 7 to 8, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you shall not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And this leads to my first point. Jesus is the most important. If there's one thing that you take away from this sermon, get this. Jesus, his glory, and his plan are always the most important thing. His statement in verse 7 could easily be considered shocking or surprising, but it's important to realize exactly what he's saying. He isn't neglecting the obligation to give to the poor, but he's saying there are more important things at play here. He utters words very similar to Deuteronomy 15.11, which says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open your, wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. He does this to remind them that giving to the poor is important, but they will always be here. And he emphasizes that he won't always be there. He has told them already three times that he is going to die, and each time they haven't understood it or accepted it. Jesus was here to do something. He was here to fulfill God's majestic plan of salvation, he was there to die, to be resurrected, and glory be to him because he did it. And there's nothing that is more important than God's glory and his plan. That is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying right now, there are more important things on the horizon than giving to the poor. They will always be around. He interprets this anointing as an anointing him for his burial. Although this probably wasn't what the woman necessarily had intended, He's focused on God's plan, and we can see clearly that his reaction to this anointment is a lot different than the other people. And this leads to my second point. Jesus sees the inside. 
people see the outside. People often look at the outside, the stuff, the cost, the worth, but Jesus looks at the inside. He looks at her heart, her motives, her love, and her devotion. It says in verses 4 to 5, some people in the room have viewed this anointment as a waste. They realize the value of it, and they don't see why she would waste all that money, for it could have been used for better things. It's kind of like if one year your spouse went out and won a couple hundred thousand dollars in the lottery, and this was around Christmas time. But that year, money wasn't something that you had a whole lot of. And you had to buy Christmas presents for four kids, nephews, brothers, sisters, parents, etc. So thankfully, you now have all of this money that you can use to spend on presents and even have some after. That is, at least until your significant other decides to go out and spend all of the money on a very expensive bottle of wine and then decides to drink it with his best friend before you can have a say. I imagine if we were in that situation that we would probably end up scolding our maybe not so significant other um, in some way or another. And I know this is a little bit of a different scenario, but I think this is kind of how they're feeling at this point in time, the people in the room. And that's why they scolded her, because they only look at the stuff on the outside. They didn't understand her motivation or the value of her action. They only understood the value of the perfume. But Jesus, he sees a different side of it. He looks at her heart, her love, and devotion. In verse 6, he tells them to leave her alone and asks them why they're bothering her. And get this, then he says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Can we just pause for a second and think about what he means by that? This anointing is a beautiful thing. Jesus sees her heart and realizes the sacrifice that she is giving here. In verse 8, it says, she has done what she could, which can also be translated as, she gave all that she had. Clearly, this woman's motivation wasn't money or possessions, but her motivation was love. To really get how important this is to Jesus, we can look at Mark chapter 12, 28 to 30. In these verses, one of the scribes asks Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus responds with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus himself says that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything. We can also see the importance of this if we read in verse 9. It says, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about what she has done. And don't miss that because it is what she has done, not the woman, but what she did. Mark doesn't even tell us what the woman's name is. But what she does is she glorifies God with all that she has, and she's more or less saying, Jesus, I love you. And here's my third point. This woman, she loves Jesus. She loves him and gives everything she has to him. In verse 3, she doesn't just simply pour some of the perfume on him. She breaks the jar, rendering it unusable forever, and pours it all on his head. So why would the woman do this? Why does she sacrifice everything for Jesus? Here's the thing that she gets. 
Whatever earthly luxuries that the perfume or money from selling the perfume could have given her, it's nothing compared to what she has right there in front of her. What she has standing right there, sitting at the table, is Jesus. She's face to face with her Messiah, her safe place, her king, and her everything, and she loves him. And this anointing is her giving everything she can offer him, knowing that he gives her so much more in return. So now you might be wondering, well, why does she love him? Well, the answer to that is because she knows who he is. And if we look back throughout the book of Mark, you can really see why knowing who he is is so important. If you look back to Mark 2, 15 to 17, we see that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And he tells the Pharisees that, I came not to call righteous, but sinners. Even early on in chapter 2, we see Jesus is sitting with people who are socially not really accepted and often even hated. And not just that, he doesn't judge them, but he eats with them and he talks with them. And he says, you are the people that I'm coming for. You see, no matter how screwed up we are, Jesus is always a safe place for us to go. If we look back to Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus surrounded by a crowd, and he gets asked to heal Jairus' daughter. So he accepts, and he starts to follow Jairus. But as he's walking, somebody touches him and gets healed. And immediately he stops and asks, Who touched me? And then this woman steps up, and she tells him the whole truth. Jesus sits there, and he listens to this woman say her, the whole truth as this other guy's daughter is dying as they are standing there. And get this, not only does he just stand there and listen to her, but he responds by calling her daughter. He calls her, her ch- his child. It's not enough for the woman just to get healed. Jesus wants to build a relationship with her, and she wants, he wants her to know that she loves him. In Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. For he had compassion on the people who ran to him because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he was their shepherd. And as all good shepherds do, he provided for his sheep. Of course, there is much more to Jesus than these couple points. And there's also a lot more to each of these passages that I've referenced But we can see that Jesus is a safe place to go. He is loving. He cares. He wants us to know him. He is a provider and he is a shepherd. And I'm not saying that the woman was at all of these events or maybe even any of these events. But the important thing is that the woman knows who Jesus is. And this is why she doesn't care about the perfume or the money. It's because she knows him and loves him. Not for what he has done, but for who he is. For her, Jesus is her priority, and knowing him and having him means that there's nothing else that she will ever need. Church, do we believe that? Do we know who he is like she knows who he is? Do we know him as our refuge, our safe place, our comfort, our Father who loves us, our provider, our shepherd, our Lord, Savior, and God, our everything? Because that's who he is, whether we know it or not. 
but unfortunately, not everyone knows him and loves him. There can be another response to Jesus. As we see in verses 1 to 2, not everybody loves him like the woman does. In fact, here, the religious leaders hate him. They want to kill him. And they wanted to get rid of him for a very long time. In verses 10 to 11, we also see Judas going to betray him just for some money. Judas being one of the 12, someone who's followed Jesus for pretty much the whole time. And he is the one who eventually will betray Jesus to turn him in to get killed. His motives for betraying Jesus are often debated. Uh, Mark doesn't have a whole lot to say about it, but the other Gospels would suggest that his motives are greed or even satanic inspiration. The contrast here between this woman's act of sacrificial love and devotion um, and then the evil plotting to destroy Jesus is evident. And Mark uses this sandwich to help bring out this contrast. We see the overall plot in verses 1 to 2 and then 10 to 11, where the religious leaders and Judas plan to kill him. But then the plot is interrupted from verses 3 to 9, and we see that the act of love and the devotion from the woman. Mark is showing us that everyone's reaction to Jesus isn't always the same. Some people will hate him, and others will love him. So let me ask this. Do we love Jesus? Do we love him more than everything else in our lives? Do we love him the same way that she does? Everyone here has somebody who loves them. And can you think of a time where somebody has come up to you and just said, I love you? Not because of something that you did, but just for being who you are. And then think about how great that felt that somebody loved you. Well, how many times do we tell that to Jesus? How, many, how much do we love him, not for just about what he's done for us, but for who he is? You see, this woman loves him for who he is. She knows him and treats him as her priority. She doesn't care about what other things she could do with this perfume because she has everything that she will ever need. And what she has is Jesus. And that's not exclusive to her. He's also everything that we'll ever need. Jesus is always the most important. He is everything. He is more important than our money, our careers, our education, our time, and everything else. But do we believe that and do we know that? And do we live it out in our lives? How often do we express our love for our stuff? And then how often do we openly and outwardly express our love for Christ and not worry about getting scolded by those around us? Do we know who he is like she knows who he is? In order to know him like she does, we need to be seeking him out every day. We need to be seeking him out through prayer and through reading his word. And more important, and the more we get to know him, the easier it will be to put him first. My hope and prayer for us is that we will know who Jesus is and that we would be in love with who he is because he is love.
and that we would know him as our safe place, as our shepherd, our provider, our father, and our God, who is more important than anything that this earth can offer. Let us pray. Jesus, I'd just like to thank you for this opportunity um, to stand up here, and I thank you for who you are. Um, I'm sorry that I don't always think about just how awesome that you are and how much you are active in our lives. God, I just ask that you would reveal yourself to all of us here in this congregation this morning, that you would show us who you are and make it make yourself so amazing to us that we can't do anything but love you and not put you for or and put you first. Jesus, I just thank you for this opportunity to be here and I thank you for these people who have sat down to listen this morning. I just ask that you would speak to them through this sermon and through your word, just as you have spoken to me. God, I just ask that you will bless our days and our weeks, um, and Steve as well, as he travels back in the next couple of days. And I ask you to just be with us as we go on with the rest of our day. In your name, amen.